Welcome to the Pro Photographer Journey Podcast, your resource for building the photography business of your dreams. This is Shamira Young, bringing you tips, business strategies, and interviews with award-winning photographers. We're all in this together. Let's get to the good stuff. Hey everybody, I'm here with photographer Nick Wilcox-Brown. Now, Nick is a UK-based photographer and filmmaker with a passion for wildlife and people. Shooting for leading editorial, commercial, and advertising clients for over 25 years, Nick has a broad range of experience in many different photographic specialties. He particularly enjoys working on wildlife conservation and development projects. He's also heavily involved with Living with Wildlife, an organization that helps everyday families in rural Africa who face extreme poverty. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon. It's very pleasant to be here. Thank you. You know, it's so great to have you on the show, Nick. And looking at your website, the breadth of your work is fascinating. And equally as fascinating is the passion that you put into your photography, especially as far as helping other people, such as living with wildlife and helping rural families in Africa. I mean, and we're going to get into that, but I love that you have a greater mission with your work. You know, before we go into the meat of this interview, I do like to start off with my favorite question. Can you give us an overview of yourself and your background and just your journey with how you ended up doing what you're doing today? Well, it's a slightly strange one. I I actually started out as a farmer. I started out studying agriculture, but uh, all the way through, I was taking pictures constantly and and teaching others how to to take them too as well. And then I had a a very lucky encounter one day. I'd uh, actually just finished finished my course and was looking around for some work. And I had a very lucky encounter. We had a, uh, a royal visit. One of the royal family came to the local town for some particular event. And somewhere in a photographic magazine, I'd say, seen something saying, always keep your camera handy. Well, my camera wasn't handy. So I dashed about five miles home to grab a camera and some film and uh, headed back and was able to get some pictures of this member of the royal family. But it was one of those sort of situations where sometimes things are meant to be, I suspect, because we're talking of a dark winter's day. (laughs) uh, Literally after dark, I didn't have a flash, and all I had was 100 ISO film. So we're talking about good old days of film. And I got home and I set up my processing on the toilet, (laughs) as you you do, and... uh, (laughs) And I just, well, effectively, I cooked that film for about 20 or 30 minutes and thinking, well, I wonder if that's enough and uh, dried off the negatives. And they look great. And they got me work. They got me a job with a local magazine, which was a real pleasure. So uh, the local magazine was actually like a local paper, but it was a much more interesting brief. And it set me up for a very long time and always sort of it sort of set up my ideas for a long time and, and gave me opportunities that would otherwise I wouldn't have experienced. You know, that's so interesting. And and talk about taking advantage of an opportunity in a good way. I mean, it, you know, a lot of people in your position, when they hear that the Royals are coming to town, may have said, oh, I don't have any camera equipment with me. I'll just, you know, oh, well, too bad. <laughs> Miss my opportunity. But I love, love that you seized the moment from that point. And, you know, I'm kind of curious. So you said it gave you work with a local magazine in your area. What kind of work did they send your way? 
So it was it was effectively like a local local newspaper, but there was a much more interesting side to it. The editor was a musician previously, and he had slightly non-conventional ideas. And he said to me, if you ever present me with a photograph of a large check, because that was the tradition in 1980s, 1990s UK to take photographs of large checks. He said, well, if you ever present me with one of those, he said, you're sacked on the spot. So he said, I want you to go out and be creative. And so I was able to sort of take pictures that no one else would ever use, but it, they, were used, they were used well. They were used across double-page spreads. Interesting. It just allowed me to take an alternative view on life, which then served me very well when I started working for sort of proper glossy magazines. Now, I have a question. You said that he said to you, if you ever take a picture of a large check, did you say? Yes. Could you kind of describe what that means? or So when... So when charities or when organizations raise oh, money for charities it. Okay. it was symbolic to have a the bank would produce a large check that was maybe you know three or four feet across or a meter meter and a half across yeah. and they would present this and the picture would be two people with a large check and it was very boring and the, the, the <laughs> local papers used to be filled with these pictures and so I was threatened with the sack if I ever produced one of those pictures. Okay, I got it. For some reason, it was not registering. I know exactly what you're talking, what you're talking about because I've shot events like that with the large check and people holding it up and smiling. And you're right; it is kind of a very standard type of shot that some people want and some people don't. But I love that you were able to find out his expectations from the start and Absolutely. get creative with the shots. And, and I think sometimes the story behind the check was always far more interesting than just the symbolism of that money being transacted. Oh, my goodness. Definitely. Definitely. And I'd love to hear more about how you got your business up and running, because a lot of us on the show, and it's the reason that I started the show myself back in, ooh, I think 2013. Wow, time flies. You know, I was struggling with my photography business and not just getting more clients, but making it fun and enjoyable and sustainable. And I know a lot of our listeners struggle with that as well, which is why I love to hear any struggles that you may have had with your business and how you overcame those struggles. It was always very hard, but I was in, in a sense, I was very fortunate because that same editor was always very relaxed. He was quite happy. And, and, and his successor, a lady, they were both very happy for me to pursue work out of out of hours. Mm. So although I was working 50 or 60 hours a week as a photographer for them, I used to go and process the black and white pictures in the evenings for other people. And that gave me access to some very interesting people. I guess the modern equivalent is, is you know, people will shoot their raw files or whatever, mm -hmm. and you can either print them for them or you can make them look better. Um, so there's, I think the potential for that still exists, but you never quite know who's going to come knocking on the door. And one of those clients was actually an, an interesting character. Bless him. He's now in his late 80s. He's a name by, by the name of Colonel John Blashford Snell. And he was one of your sort of boys own adventurers. And he left the army and went running around all over the world doing crazy stuff, you know, exploration of this area and that area. But as he was just a client to me. He was just somebody who wanted pictures printed. Mm -hmm. But later on, it came to pass that he said, oh, um, I've just been let down. My photographer for this trip to Nepal has, has, has pulled out at the very last minute. Could you go to Nepal for three weeks next week? Whoa. So that was one of those <laughs> opportunities. Where suddenly the, 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 the sun shined. And you go, wow, what an opportunity. You just have to say yes. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm taking, if you hear me writing or you hear the rustle of paper, I'm taking notes over here because this is really fascinating. So you had your job shooting with the newspaper and yes. fulfilling the element, the requirements of the editor. And then you had your own special projects or on the side or pursuing your own clients on the side as well, correct? Absolutely correct. Yes. But always, always checking with the editor or with, you know, with, with my, effectively with the boss to make sure that I wasn't, there wasn't a problem and they were happy for me to do it, which they were. You know, that's fantastic. And that brings up a very important point because I know a lot of photographers, at least the questions that I get, they'll ask, how do I start shooting for a newspaper? Or how, do, how do I start shooting for a magazine? And one of the things I tell them, because I've shot, I shoot for a local magazine here in town as well. And being in tune with your editor is key. It is vital. I understand that we all are artists. We're all creatives and we like to shoot images that make us happy. But when you're shooting for a magazine or a newspaper, you essentially have to fulfill the requirements of that paper and of that editor. All that to say, it's not all about you and, you know, the fuzzy warm feeling that you get in your tummy. And so when working with a publication, you have to understand what the editor wants, what their requirements are, and you have to make their life easier, very easy. You have to make them look good, essentially, which it sounds like you did. But at the same time, you had a very good balance of being able to pursue other types of projects and clients that were interesting to you, which all in all makes a business so much more enjoyable to run. Would you agree? I totally agree with you. And I think that you've got to keep the editor happy, but you, you've got to, sh I often found that you have to shoot in a style that's familiar to them. Yes. It doesn't stop you submitting the odd image that maybe pushes the boundaries a little bit, but don't try giving them something that's really glossy, super, super saturated. If the style of the magazine or the newspaper is very flat and, and, and quite straightforward. So I've became quite adept at being, um, how, how do we put it? Um, when you change your, when you sort of you put on a different suit for each type of client you're working for, mm -hmm. you you change your style, you adapt your imagery to suit the publication. So uh, one, once upon a time, I, w I was invited to shoot some work for Hello Magazine, which here in Europe or here in the UK is full of celebrities. There's Hello and there's OK Magazine, both mm -hmm. absolutely brimful of celebrity shots. And I was invited to shoot some people for that magazine. And one of the comments afterward was, how did you manage to mimic our style so effectively? <laughs> so, but but you just read the, the key to it is to read through those magazines, to read through the website and to look at the other imagery they're using and to match that style. So you give them what they're expecting. Yes, you have to do your homework. Most definitely. If you can match their expectations, then you're far more likely to get the work. You know, this is huge. And this is what I love about these shows, these conversations, this interview is that I didn't expect to go in this direction. But you're hitting on something that's so super, super important as far as adapting our style. I mean, you mentioned this super glossy look. I worked for a motorcycle magazine and we would get submissions regularly. And as one of the assistant editors, I would get in so many photos every week. And it was interesting. Some were on point. And right away we would say, oh, they have our style down. Let's contact this photographer to get more work for them. Whereas other photographers, super extremely talented photographers, would send in these overly glossy, slick, very edited images that were fantastic, but not at all a fit for the magazine. Not at all. But some of the most beautiful images I'd seen, but not the right fit. 
And you know, what's interesting is they never got a call back from us because it didn't fit. And then on the other extreme of that, for another magazine I worked for, I heard a horror story. Now this wasn't me, obviously, because I'm kind of, I learned Photoshop before I learned the camera, which is kind of backwards. <laughs> All that to say, editing has never been an issue for me, but I had an editor share his horror story. She was saying, I need a new photographer. The last photographer we had, they sent in completely raw images, no editing, and said, hey, here are some photos, but can you edit these yourself? What? Like, that is just unbelievably unprofessional. And all that to say, you are correct. We have to do our homework and match the style of the publication that we are trying to get into. I think that's one of the most important, actually, pieces of advice for anyone who want to work with a magazine or a newspaper. I think it's essential. Style is really important. Um, we had a, a newspaper which is still around and it started back in the very end of the 1980s. It was called The Independent and it was very radical in the sense it majored on pictures and it was always my ambition to get work into that newspaper but they were very, very picky. Mm. And I tried to get images and I got one accepted and then it got pulled at the last minute for reasons beyond me but it was always my target to actually work for that that particular newspaper um, the sweet irony of it was that about 15 years later, I was doing some training for an organization and I actually met their star photographer who'd always been my hero. He was oh. so, so and, and I was training him. Wow. <laughs> that, that, was, that was on something completely, completely unrelated, but it was just so fascinating to actually meet this guy who'd been my sort of icon for, for 10 years. How cool is that? You never know where the journey is going to take you. Oh, life is fascinating. It is. And, you know, since we're on the topic of working with clients and companies and finding the right clients to work with, I have to ask you to share a couple stories that you actually shared with me in our pre-interview chat. And as you were telling me these stories, I was like, oh, we need to start the interview right now. And you need to share these stories because they're so interesting. And could you, the first story I want to ask you to share with us, can you tell us about your Land Rover story and how you first reach out to them? to even start shooting for them and get them as a client? Uh, most definitely, yes. So Land Rovers, as probably many of your listeners know, are off-road vehicles. They're road, but off-road vehicles. And in in the past, they used to be much more roughy-tufty, much more like a Jeep than they are now. Now they're a bit sophisticated and a bit poncy. But mm -hmm. uh, they were amazing vehicles. And I grew up, basically, when I was a child, I grew up in a basic old Land Rover. It was like a tractor almost, but it went on the road. And uh, my father had one, so I went all over the place in these old Land Rovers. And as soon as I was driving, I was driving old Land Rovers around. So it was always something I was interested in, wanted to do some adventurous stuff. So anyway, later on in life, I uh, got a situation where I really was looking for some clients. And I think I really wanted to work for Land Rover. So I took an opportunity to go and do some photography for free um, at a Land Rover off-road center in, in, in the near region. And I spent a couple of days there doing some pictures and just this and that and cooperated with the staff and sort of said, what do you want? What would be useful? And I just had a great time. I was literally spending two days photographing Land Rovers in all sorts of extreme and compromising positions, I have to say, um, you know, up up to the windscreen with or windshield with uh, with water and that sort of thing. But anyway, um, I thought I ought to be doing something with this. So I actually contacted Land Rover's marketing office and said, I want to work for Land Rover. And they said, oh, yeah, well, everybody wants to work for us. What's special about you? And I said, well, actually, I don't think your pictures are that great. <laughs> uh, 
And as you can imagine, there was a long silence. Right. <laughs> so do you think you can do you think you can do better? And I said, Yes, I can. Go on then, prove it. And so I and then submitted a selection of images and ended up with a very nice commission to photograph their vehicles for them. So <laughs> gutsy. So gutsy. But you you have to have the confidence of your convictions. You've you've got to be able to walk the talk and the particular type of imagery that I was referring to, we're not talking of the showroom imagery, we're talking of some other type of imagery for them, but the particular type of imagery, I knew I could do it because I'd been out there, I tried it, proved it to myself and thought, yep, I can do this. So you can't just go and, and uh, say that to people unless you can really back up your 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 comments. Well, exactly. Your Your confidence was not unfounded. You knew what you were doing and you already knew what you could do for them to improve their images. That is so cool. <laughs> but but never be afraid, afraid to experiment. Um, ironically, and as a sort of footnote to that, that was the best two days work I've ever done in my entire career. Really? They actually bought some of the imagery from that previous session. And, um, well, it paid for a very nice holiday. Oh, I bet it did. I bet it did. And for all those photographers out there listening who are afraid to put themselves out there, let this story be inspiration for you. I know so many talented artists who, photographers and artists who are putting out amazing work on social media, you know, fun or just kind of dabbling in it, but are afraid to make the leap into running a business, even if it's something that they want to do. I'm not saying running a business is for everybody, for, but for those who are putting out great work on social media for fun and are constantly telling me, oh, I wish I could make a business out of this. Just so you know, you can, but you have to put yourself out there. Reach out to some companies that you want to work with and see what you can do for them and make sure that you can deliver what they're looking for. And Nick, I have to prompt you for the other story you were telling me too in our pre-interview chat about the the big horse event that you shot, Burley? Burley, Burley Horse Trials. Yes. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, sad, sadly, it's another story related to Land Rover, and I apologise for that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it, it's always tickled my fancy ever since. It was quite a quite a funny thing, really. So I was photographing this horse trials for for, for Land Rover, and there was other photographers there who were just photographing the horses. But my brief was to photograph what was going on, and also because Land Rover were major sponsors to actually capture their vehicles in and around the show um, doing doing what they do really but you know as, as as a sponsorship thing and um at the end of the end of the first evening um range rover brand manager popped up to me and said you know you're doing a good job but um we've got a little problem i've got this limited edition range rover this was a range rover 35 so that was um, about 10 years ago now range rover 35 he said um, really really need some pictures for the front of a brochure but he said is that something you can do for us and i said well yes i can i haven't gotten a system with me so i'll need a bit of a help but you know we can do something so why don't we do this as this and we, we sort of spelled it out and discussed it and anyway we ended up putting this beautiful vehicle in front of this amazing country house it's one of the bigger houses bigger country houses in in england the sort of places that britain is known for really mm. and um for that shoot, uh, I had two assistants, one of them being the, the Range Rover global brand manager, and the other one was the owner of the country house. So really two unlikely people, but very charming gentlemen and very pleasant to spend an evening with. And the result was very successful, and the image went on the front of the brochure for that vehicle. And again, this topic of just being confident and fearless, I love it. 
I love it. I love the spirit of collaboration that you brought to that. I love that you made it work. No matter what you had to do, you made it work. How cool is that? <laughs> I think I think one of the things that is is important to say is I, I look at Facebook quite regularly and I look at wildlife photographers and everyone puts their, their name on there as photography. So in other words, suggesting their photography business. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between somebody who's a professional and somebody who's just taking pictures. And the difference is as a professional, as you well know, is that if you go and take on a project, you have to be able to deliver. You have to, to make something, whatever the weather, the, the the day, however you're feeling, even if you're feeling really rough, if the job's to be done, it has to be done and you have to deliver something that's going to make the client smile and make them want to pay you. But there are so many talented photographers out there who, who just have that slight fear and you've just got to be confident in yourself, be confident in your work and say, okay, I can do this. You know, that's a very important distinction, especially as we see more photos and images than ever before on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on all of that stuff. And you're absolutely right. The difference between being a pro versus just someone taking pictures is that when you're professional, you do have to deliver to that client no matter what. And you're right. Sometimes we do get nervous, but we have to go ahead and we have to do it. And just to hammer it home a little bit, you know, it's not. How do I say this without sounding harsh? I'll say it anyway. It's not about us, essentially. It's not always about us. I mean, we are creative. We are artists. We love to create. But when you start shooting for other clients, it's essentially about them and fulfilling their work. And just to share a quick story, because you mentioned how sometimes we get nervous and we've been touching on the topic of confidence. When I started shooting for the hospital here in town, my first photo session with them, I was just about sick with nervousness. And I think I've shared this on the show before. I know I've talked about working with the hospital, but I don't know if I've talked about working that first shoot for them. Now I've been shooting as a photographer for years previously, families, weddings, all that stuff, but something about shooting with a bigger business like a hospital and telling doctors and surgeons what to do. I mean, we had a schedule lined up of about a dozen different doctors, nurses, surgeons and executives and they're all busy you know important people and I showed up and I kept it all inside but you want to talk about nervousness Nick I mean (laughs) oh nervousness in my head yeah it's like I don't I I hope I can do this you know I came prepared I knew I had the skill set it was just me being in my head nervous but I put it aside and the the photo sessions went well it was great And I focused on what the marketing director said she needed as far as headshots and the particular style of those headshots. And all this to say, I think we're all going to be nervous at some point, but you can't let that stop you. You have to go ahead and get the job done. Absolutely. I I would completely agree with that. Nervousness is is an integral part of doing a big project or doing any project, really. Mm -hmm. One of the lessons I've learned is that if you go into a project and you're not nervous and you're feeling too confident, it's the time you'll mess up. Oh, I like that. It's it's not happened often, but just occasionally you can get just a little bit too overconfident and you turn up and think this is going to be a breeze. And then you forget your memory card in the camera (laughs) or, or you shoot pictures without a film. And I've done that. Oh no. We're talking a long time ago. I had 30 people (laughs) lined up. I photographed the big group and the pictures looked great and the weather was wonderful. And I went to change the magazine because it was a film camera at the end of the shoot. And, oh, shoot, there was no film in that camera. 
And then you've got to wrangle your way out of it. It does happen to everybody. But it's it's that moment when you're just feeling that little bit too confident. You haven't checked things through beforehand. Always, always check everything through and double check it and think of every scenario. I think everyone listening had the collective pit open up in their stomach when you said that there was no film in the camera. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it happened once. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it happens to the best of us. We all have our horror stories, that's for sure. Oh, definitely, yes. And, you know, I kind of want to shift the conversation over to having a greater mission, a greater purpose for our work. Because as cool as it is to create great photographs and be called a pro photographer... You know, equally as important, if not more important, is to be shooting for a greater purpose and to know why we're shooting. And so specifically, I wanted to touch on your involvement with Send a Cow and the Living with Wildlife campaign. Can you kind of tell us about that? You know, what that is, what it stands for and how you got involved? I certainly can. So I'm a great believer in passion. I think passion drives forward projects far more effectively than the the lure of a check or or money at the end of it. Passion is is, is really the motivator in my life and certainly my my photographic career. And if I'm not excited about something, it generally doesn't go so well. So that's always the background to everything, really. But um, Along the way, I've been helped by many people. I, I've had, I've got no formal photographic training. I'm self-taught, and I've had guidance along the way by people, and I've read an awful lot of books. Uh, but people have always just given me helpful hints or just little bits of information that just make everything fall into place. So it's always nice to be able to put something back into society, make the world go around a little bit more smoothly. Mm-hmm. So I've been working in Africa on and off since about 2014, was originally working with a charity or still working with a charity called Uganda Conservation Foundation, which is just a small charity that gets funding from around the world and then puts that into measures to combat poaching and to help animals um, in terms of veterinary treatment. Um, We're talking wild animals here, veterinary treatment for animals, um, removing snares. So that leads into where we're going in a moment, removing snares from animals. So poaching has been a big problem across Africa. Mm. Uh, It's been a big problem globally, but poaching has been a big problem. And I think it's important to separate poaching into two different things. So there's poaching for the big prizes, the ivory, the the tigers, um, which is the money element. But poaching in many cases is actually on a much more local level. And it's simply about one thing, hungry people, people need to feed their families. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, Uganda Conservation Foundation have been fighting that very effectively for for many years. But the missing link was always the sort of root cause of this, which is the poverty, the people who struggled to make ends meet, the people who struggled for food, the people with empty bellies. And this is why I've been so very excited by what Sendercow and their partners Tusk Trust are doing in their project to help people who are literally living with wildlife. I think we in in the States, in the West, perhaps even in Asia, are very comfortable with the images of these amazing animals, lions, uh, tigers in Asia, obviously, giraffe. They're incredible creatures. We saw them and seen them in our childhood books. But the reality of living with them is sometimes slightly different. Mm. And these people in Africa, in Asia as well, but these people actually have to live with these animals and they have to live with them and work with them and and, and to feed their families. 
So to go back to the sort of to the, to the sense of it all, really, the problem with people poach to feed their families, people are using snares to catch small animals, what we would call deer or cob in Africa, and they've they are then turned into or cut up and made into bush meat to feed people. But the byproduct of those snares is they will actually catch animals like the giraffe, the unusual and exotic Rothschild's giraffe, a keystone species. They will also catch elephants either by their legs or by their trunks. So the sight of an elephant with its trunk cut off halfway up is the most painful thing because that's like cutting your hands off, cutting your fingers off and cutting your nose off all at once. So Send a Cow as the lead charity and Tusk Trust as the secondary charity have got this wonderful initiative called Living with Animals. And their basic mission is to provide people with training to help them to break the cycle of poverty permanently. So they don't need to go and hunt or to poach animals. In some cases, this comes down to training young people, giving them new skills so I've been photographing them, people learning how to how to build houses or to build buildings. Of course, in certain parts of Africa, the, the local uh, the local sort of vernacular, local building style is really huts. It's huts made of of sticks, sticks, stones, and and mud. Mm. People now want higher standards. They want buildings that are built with blocks and with bricks, and so those are new skills that are required to build those and to put proper roofs on them. So these Charities have been providing funding for education, teaching people how to do this, how to use chainsaws. One of the favourite games of elephants in Africa is actually to knock down trees. By knocking down trees, they then keep people out because they block the roads. So trees need to be cut back. Um, So I've again been photographing and filming people being trained to use chainsaws to keep the roads clear. That's so interesting. And I love that that these organizations are are addressing the people problem or the problem of poverty, I guess I should say. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's affecting the animals being poached in such a way where these families need to feed their families. They need to eat, but you break that cycle of poverty. All of a sudden you're helping the families and the animals too. That is really cool. The, the idea is basically to train about 7,000 people within the area around the park that I've worked with. And it's also to help them to make the most of their land. In many cases, these people have got land, but for various reasons, they haven't got the skills to grow the crops they need. So by t- just teaching them the basic skills that have been forgotten, or maybe they were pastoralists, maybe they actually just li- survived on animals in the past and you know, by driving animals around and feeding them. So they haven't actually got those skills or ever had the skills to grow crops. But by teaching them basic skills to grow crops, they can feed themselves. They can often produce surplus, which they can then sell in markets to generate cash. Wow. Wow. You know, in our show notes on the blog post for this episode, I will make sure and include a link to the Living with Wildlife campaign so that people can check that out. And there's also a very cool two minute film that explains it. And if I'm not mistaken, all donations are being doubled by the UK. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, there's, there's an initiative in the UK at the moment, only until the 14th of April, okay. where any donations made to this charity, because it's obviously a UK-based charity, mm-hmm. will be doubled by the UK government 
as I say, up until the 14th of April. So if you're if you're inclined to help these people and they're doing incredible things, then then please feel free to donate before the 14th of April. So anyone from any country can donate. They correct? can indeed. And okay. there's a donation button on the website, which accept, will accept all currencies, I guess. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, you know, having a greater purpose, having a greater mission with our photography is is so important. And you mentioned earlier that it drives you more than than the dollar amount, more than a fancy check, more than a big check. Can you kind of, I guess, dig into this a little bit more? I just want our listeners to understand why it is so important to have a greater purpose with the photos that we create. I, I can. It, it's sometimes quite hard to quantify or to, to explain, but it's I think a lot of photographers, we're artists, we're creators, and the the attraction has always been to me to see my images on a page. I mean, the biggest thrills I've ever experienced are to see, you know, an image on a, on a double page spread in a glossy, a big glossy magazine. That, and I know that you know thousands of or tens of thousands of people will see that. So that's always been a great motivator. But in terms of the, the charity projects, which I've been doing more recently, it, it's just really important that. You you know you meet these people. I've been I've been to this area. I've been to this little college in in uh, Uganda where they're training these people, and you just want to help those people. They're they're struggling, and it's so nice to be able to give something back to help them, and to help them to sort of achieve the standard of living or to aim for the standard of living that we have here. Absolutely, and the topic of giving back I think is is very important because, you know, you're right when you mentioned there is a certain thrill associated with seeing your photography on a double page spread or seeing your photography in a book. But I mean, that is going to sound weird to say, but that can get old if that's all you're doing. And, and at least for me personally, I've worked with publishing companies. I've worked with magazines and you see your images in these publications so much. It can get to a point where it's kind of like, okay, so what, what's next? And I think the giving back is what's next and the giving back is what gives your your business and your life greater purpose oh i would totally agree with that it it, it really does and then what is always nice is to sometimes the surprise so sometimes you drive through a capital somewhere in, you know driving around uganda or something and suddenly you see an image of yours and you go oh that's my picture and it's <laughs> being used really well to do something that's good for people that's helping people to save lives yeah. Going going back when I mentioned that back in the nineties, the early nineties, I gave up my job to go off and photograph these, to go off and photograph these elephants with this explorer chap, John, Colonel John Blashford Snell. Um, didn't talk much about the elephants, but uh, I photographed these extremely large elephants that were Asian. There was always a thing when I was a child: Asian elephants are smaller than than African elephants. I have to say that's actually not true. Asian elephants, certainly some of them, are actually much bigger than African elephants, and they look something very much like a mammoth. They've got that very strange sloping profile with a big domed head. Huh. But so the, it sort of broke it broke up a childhood myth really for me. But actually, the interesting part about it was that ten years after I took those pictures, I suddenly got through the post a letter, and I looked at this letter and I thought, strange. I know that picture, and there was a picture on the postage stamp. Picture, 
and then well there was a couple of expletives followed and i suddenly realized that the that the, the uh, nepal which is obviously a country north of india the nepalese government had decided to use my elephant images on their on their postage stamps oh wow how neat is that it was an incredible thrill i mean i i didn't get any money for it and I probably should have asked, but you know what? It was just such an incredible to thrill to see that. And then later on, somebody actually kindly sent me. They'd actually done a first day cover and they'd use more of my pictures on that same envelope along with stamps. So that was one of the biggest sort of excitements. And, uh, I hope you saved it. <laughs> I certainly did. I think some, somewhere on the website there used to be a picture of it, but I'm not sure where. I think in the blog perhaps. Wow. Wow. That's well, this <laughs> Yes, thrilling to say the least. I can't believe we're already coming towards the end of the interviews. I mean, this is just, these interviews fly by. And I also want to make sure and ask, is there a particular photography resource, tool, online course, anything that you would recommend to our listeners to help with their businesses? Oh, that's a difficult one. I <laughs> I taught myself everything from books. Uh -huh. Being a of a bookworm when I was a child. I find a lot of the resources now are all about selling. They're always about selling you a new kit. And actually, the best camera you've got is the one in your hand. It doesn't yes. need to be the latest and greatest or the glossiest. It just needs to work. In terms of answering the question, YouTube is is it's a source of huge amounts of information and knowledge. Mm -hmm. But I'd always caution people and say there's some great stuff up there. There really is. But not all those people are experts and they don't all know what they're talking about. So don't ever just take one person's advice watch a different uh, watch a range of people's opinions engage whether they're right or wrong i love it that may be a little bit harsh but uh, <laughs> it's an honest honest opinion and it's true no it's very true and i appreciate that and and youtube is a wonderful resource a wonderful resource but you're right you do have to use your own judgment as well and if you're watching a technique on youtube well, get out and try it for yourself you know Watch it and then see if it works for you or if you if you even like it. So I think that's a great answer. Thank you. There's one more thing I wanted to cover or to touch on, but I'm not sure if it's appropriate. Go ahead. Um, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in, I'm, I'm an old school photographer, as you gather. I, I started out on film and with film, you took a picture and really there wasn't very much you could change. So I take the same approach to digital these days. I work I actually take pictures and I in raw, always my pictures are in raw, but I always process everything with Lightroom. And I, I use Photoshop as well, but people say, why don't you use Photoshop all the time? Well, Lightroom is basically enables me to make my, make my pictures look good, but it doesn't mean I change things. Mm. Whereas Photoshop is a very different pro different product. It, make, it enables you to change things fundamentally. And I'm a great believer in honesty and integrity within my imagery. So I keep it as straightforward and as, as honest guess as i possibly can and i think that's paid paid dividends over the years you can always look back at the original raw file and it'll match the image give or take a few bits of contrast and color um, so it's always important to take pictures that look good you know take a picture that looks good in the viewfinder and try and keep it that way you know that's absolutely correct that's that's you're totally right i mean lightroom is a wonderful resource and full disclosure <laughs> this may be oversharing but when i first started this podcast i was not using Lightroom and I was not shooting in raw I'm just gonna lay it all out there and it <laughs> right. was and even saying that I can't believe I can't believe I wasn't but it was through conversations with photographers on the show 
that I started using Lightroom and I started shooting in RAW. Now this was years and years ago. It was an absolute game changer. And to this day, I'll get photographers asking me if it's worth it to use Lightroom. And I would say absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I have to be very honest here and say I actually do work with, not for, but I work with Adobe and I develop Lightroom. So I guess I've wow. got vested interests. But actually... <laughs> I've got those interests or I, I do that work because it benefits me as a photographer. Ultimately, in that sense, I'm selfish. I'm doing I'm, I'm, I'm helping them to work with their product to make it better for me to make it, my work easier. Well, then it makes it easier for the rest of us. So thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, and, and Nick, this has been just awesome. And my last question, but one of the most important, can you tell us where we can find you online? Me, oh, uh, well, I've got a couple, I've got a few websites actually, but the main website is uh, my own sort of photographic site. So that's nickwb.com. So that's n i c k w b dot com, and then there's a there's a there's a holidays one. I run some photographic training trips in the UK and Europe, linked off that, and then there's another one where I work with some camera camera manufacturers as well. But the main one is the photographic one. Fantastic. I'll make sure to include those in the show notes as well. And Nick, I just want to thank you again for for sharing about your business, but also what's in your heart. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Shimmer. It's been an absolute privilege. If you're enjoying this podcast, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find this podcast and search rankings. We want to reach as many people as possible and help improve our photo industry. I appreciate you all. Thanks for listening.